welcome to Creative Paths, the podcast that features unfiltered conversations about creative journeys. I'm your host, Sam Cole. I speak to creators from across the globe about their unique experiences and proudest moments, as well as the lessons they've learned along the way. Creative Paths is brought to you by Contact. It's the platform where creatives, models, photographers, and more find work and get paid, and where clients book the world's most diverse creative talent. Visit contact.xyz for more information. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Creative Parts. Today I'm joined by Archie Lee Coates IV, one of the co-founders of Playlab Inc. Founded in 2009 by Archie and Jeff Franklin, Playlab Inc. is best described as a multidisciplinary creative studio. Based out in LA, the studio is now home to a team of nine. Covering everything from art, architecture, graphic design and apps, it would be an injustice to give the team any single label. Over the years, Archie and the team have worked with a broad range of clients, most notably creating immersive set designs for Virgil Abloh's Off-White, Louis Vuitton, Reese Cooper, and Ruben Selby, and that's just to name a few. The world of Playlab Inc. is far bigger than any one project, so today, Archie's going to immerse us deeper in their world. Thank you for joining me this morning. I appreciate your time coming in and getting in conversation with us, letting us uh, know a little bit more about what you guys do over at Playlab. So I just wanted to you know, naturally start off with getting to understand a bit more about what it is Playlab is as an agency, as a brand, and what you do, what you're up to in Paris right now, and what have you guys done in the past? Yeah, absolutely. So Playlab, we describe it as an extremely multidisciplinary Ooh. creative studio. It's something that my partner Jeff and I created out of college, and it was essentially an idea and, and still is an idea which is how do we get into territories and things that we want to try but have not yet done using all the resources and languages and techniques within art and design to explore things that we care about with people that we care about. And it's been a very interesting journey over the history of the studio. And so we're we're sort of always in a position in which we're switching lanes and trying new things and surprising ourselves and getting the team excited and building the team up and a lot of hard work, a lot of fun, but it's a really special environment for, for Jeff and I. So yeah, and we're out in Paris. We've been coming here for a little while now to, to work with friends on a variety of things and more specifically our friend Virgil Abloh and Louis Vuitton. And so we're here in Paris and we're working on his, his last show to show his last collection here in Paris this week. So very thankful, privileged to be to be out here. Yeah, that must be it must be incredible feeling to be, you know, part of that and can that kind of final swan song. I think everybody's been kind of reading over the the loss of Virgil. So it must be it must be really, really special for you guys to do that. Very much so. So obviously you you said that you you guys started Playlab out of college, so it's you know Kind of been a long time coming in a way, and you know, it's still developing. But was the was the goal always to kind of start your own business, or was it solely just to create, and then the business side of it comes with that naturally? Yeah, I mean, the goal was always to start our own business. I think I've told this story a lot, but it's just the truth. This book landed at the architecture school library at Virginia Tech, where we met by this design duo called Carlson Wilker, and the book just told the story of how they made 
their design company. And it felt approachable and open. Like some, it was like Wizard of Oz, like somebody opened up a curtain. This is how it can be done. And, and, and just in their way, you know, and, and then we were looking and researching all these past studios from the Eames office and OMA and, and you name it. And I think we were just excited about making our own. We were young and naive and 19. And I bought playlab.org at 19 and taught myself HTML. And, you know, we just started working out of the gate. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, but in so many ways, it feels like this year is the first year. I think I say that to myself and Jeff every year because like January 1st, I woke up to a text message from Jeff that was like, I'm so excited to be on this journey together. I can honestly tell you, I have no idea what this year will look like. (laughs) And what's refreshing is every year feels like an unknown because every day a text or a DM or an email could come in and and then we have to ask ourselves, can we do that? Should we do that? What else do we want to do? Who do we hit for that? And and that's the journey. It's just a special, fun, fun thing. And, and when you think about what it's going to look like in 50 years, you just get goosebumps because, you know, we, we were happy 15 years ago. I was happy five years ago. I'm happy today. And the reason we are is because yeah, business is hard. Starting a business is hard. But the journey of doing that with somebody else that you trust is extremely special. And we've figured out our own way of doing things over the course of that time. And you're never finished. You you always want it to be better. So, you know, exploring that is just, it's a, it's a privilege. I think that's such a great perspective to look at things from that every every step of the journey is like a, a new beginning almost because I think you know it can be quite easy to bog yourself down in the idea of like a beginning you know everybody looks like a new year is this crazy kind of milestone within itself so I think that's just a great way to kind of take stuff back back a little bit and be like okay cool what's going to happen from now you know I don't think we hear about that too often so that's really 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 cool obviously like you said running a business isn't an easy thing to do and something we've spoken a lot about on the podcast with with our different guests is the idea of kind of having mentors and people that can guide you through the process and and whatnot and obviously yourselves you've worked with a lot of different creators a lot of different brands designers and so on and have any of those people kind of been able to bring any mentorship in of their own that you've been able to learn from and work with and Obviously, you you mentioned the book as well. You know, were there any other kind of just people or or things, teachings that you were able to follow in those kind of formative years and even up until now, you know, that you could call a mentor of sorts? Tons. I mean, I feel like it's endless. We soak up a lot of knowledge and we chase a lot of conversations. And young, old, new, from the past, we've picked up a lot and, and continue to. and. We learn from every single one of our collaborators and clients and we cherish it, you know, quite greatly because everybody has their way of doing things. So you, you sort of like, you learn to take in the information that's useful or productive to you. And then you, and you move forward with that and you test things in the field. You're like, well, should I try it this way? I mean, we, we incorporated our company and, and called it Play Lab Incorporated because Carlson Wilker was called Carlson Wilker Incorporated. 
So we went to their office and we're like, well, why is it INC? Why is it not LLC? Like, why do you do this? We didn't even know the implications of business structure, the tax purposes. And they said, well, we didn't know either. It just incorporated sounds sounded bigger and better than LLC. And so we did that. And we're like, oh, great reason. We'll do that too. <laughs> and, then, and then later you realize INC is, is an S-corp. And an S-corp, the tax structure is much different because the profits flow down to its shareholders. And those are Jeff and I. And so you end up paying taxes. So you're like, uh, <laughs> there are implications, but we did it for a reason that was almost creative or whatever. That's a dumb example, but it's true. I mean, we do that all the time. So. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not like being in Paris right now, looking out at the city. It's hard to not talk about the fact that Virgil was one of the biggest people in our lives for that reason. And for a multitude of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is this sense of belief and possibility that he gifted everyone around him. Absolutely. That's what, you know, we talk about this all the time. Like, about V where how do you take that privilege and that gift and continue to utilize it in ways that allow you to keep moving and exploring the world in that way, but also giving it to the next person or group of people because there was this sort of kicking open a door energy that he had that makes it feel punk and exciting and like limitless. And so that's generally the, the attitude we're after. And he had a grace with how he moved through the world and talked with people and gave people his time. And he was raw and he would give his ideas quickly and openly. And and so, yeah, that's like the best example I can think of in so many ways. And But there are so many people in our lives that we cherish similarly. And then it's just like, well, how do you take those things and, you know, be the thing that you want to see in yourself. And that's like the hardest work. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But, um, yeah. There, there's so many people. No, oh, that was, that was really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I think it's, it's interesting as well for me because I'm, I'm looking at it now um, in terms of collaboration, you know, it can be quite rare to hear somebody speak about another creator in that way, someone to be so open and kind of just, you, you welcome each other into each other's worlds kind of thing, you know, instead of it being a, a kind of one-way system. And I was wondering if there's anybody else that you've that you've worked with that you feel has been so open in that way and really just you've been able to craft something kind of magical together and without, you know, setting up barriers to that working space. I mean, it's hard to even like name, but the multitude of, of collaborators and but if you think about like Virgil on one end of the spectrum, you think about like, you know, we met this incredible designer and, and now friend Reese Cooper that we work across his, his brand collaboratively with him and his family and, and his group of friends. And it's the same sentiment. It's the same intention. It's the same approach, which is this limitless hunger to try things. And feed the interest that you have in things with the production of, of the clothes and the world that you're building around it and the connectivity to others to see it in the way that you see it, but give them enough space to see it in their own way. And, you know, Reese is far younger than me and Virgil was older than me and that like age doesn't matter, 
place in the world doesn't matter. It's more about like the way that you talk with people and learn from people and collaborate. And with Reese, it's that, it's that quick too. Like with Virgil, like the concept for a show would happen in like 15 minutes, like <laughs> WhatsApp message. And then you're sending ideas and then obviously that's the seed and then it grows. And it's the, it's the same with Reese in that, in that way where you're talking and within an hour, you've got 40 ideas. You're like, wow, we just need to create a system to get all these ideas out. Yeah. <laughs> and ideas are not the problem. And so that's really exciting too, is like, I love the art of business in the sense of with Louis Vuitton, right? You could come up with an idea and then there's resources to execute across every aspect of a, of a show because, you know, there's budget, et cetera. And with a growing brand, there isn't, there isn't those things. And, and Reese Cooper is also on the calendar for Fashion Week, which is this triumphant sort of checklist thing. But for an American designer that's just starting in that way, coming to Paris, it's a lot. So you try to figure out how to capture that energy for a lot less money and, yeah. and a lot less resources. And I think that that's what Jeff and I and the team really enjoy doing is that like budget's not the thing. The thing is, how do you do the most for the least for the most, which is this kind of Charles and Raheem's philosophy of like utilizing the resources at your disposal to execute the best idea in the best way. So yeah, I feel like he's, he's also top of mind because I'm going to see him in a few hours, but <laughs> no, of course, no, it's great to, to hear that you can look at either end of the spectrum in that way and, you know, give it that same attention and energy and just curation and care. I think, People will, will look at that within themselves. I think, you know, if somebody's got a, a smaller brand or they're just starting out, I think that's one of the concerns is, will I be able to ever execute some of these grand ideas? Because, you know, are people going to kind of give me that same level of care that they would somebody that's 10 years down the line and way, way bigger? So it's great to hear it from yourself and to see that, you know, that doesn't necessarily come into it. I think it also highlights that a lot of things within a creative business and, you know, just as a studio creating as a whole, obviously come with, come with issues and you're working across a diverse a range of different minds and different ideas. So hearing about some of the difficulties as well would be great, you know, and how you overcome those. And if you have any kind of notable examples. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, the operation of a studio is difficult. It was difficult when it was just Jeff and I, and it's difficult now, there's, there's nine of us wow. and it's a much larger operations. There are much larger operations than ours. And for us, it's not about a number, but it's about sort of like the things on the plate, the things in the future and making sure everybody is like on this mission together and, and playing their role in the symphony and the symphony is play lab. And, and so that's hard. I mean, it's like, you can't pretend that it's, it's not hard. Sure. I think that, you know, this is what's the 2022 we've been doing this like as an incorporated company full time since 2009. So we've been doing it for a second and it doesn't get easier. There are new problems. It's like I have a five year old son and anybody that has children knows that like you get to this part of like whatever age they're at and you're like, you're past the awkwardness or whatever, like is difficult about that age of a child. And you're like, yes, we made it past. <laughs> the and then, and then they get older and then something new happens. And you're like, I got to be used to this too, which is a beautiful thing about being a father and having a family. But it's the same with the studios. 
with the growth, there comes new things and with ambition there comes new things. And I think it's just about constantly asking yourself the, the tough questions and then having the like stamina and ability to problem solve those things. And I think that's a key thing. It's like, you know, as a designer, you sort of become addicted to solving problems. Like you see the world in that way. So you think about things iteratively. Okay, well, here's the problem. Here are seven different ways to solve it. Here are three categories in which we could solve it in these ways. Let's look at them together objectively. And then let's discuss what the best decision is. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not rocket science. It's just like, it's not easy. And then sometimes there's failure and maybe you pick the wrong decision. And that's okay because your attitude is decent about it. But yeah, you know, obviously it's like money and personalities and communication and buffering expectations. And, you know, there's a multitude of things that become a part of your language. And I think like anybody that runs a business, especially creative business knows that things may look amazing or whatever, but like, you're never not worrying and thinking and obsessing over all these things. So it's very difficult for somebody like Jeff and I, which we both have pretty high anxiety just by nature, like how we were wired. And in some way, working hard helps counteract that anxiety because it, all the unknowns start to disappear the more you work because you're seeing the things in front of you. So we work hard. And then in the moments where you're not working is when the anxiety really sets in. Like, let's say when you're sleeping or Mm -hmm. to wake up and get coffee and get dressed and take kids to school or, you know, get to the studio, whatever that time period in which you're not formally working and discussing things. You're like, your heart's racing because you're, you're excited to get to, to the moment where you start solving problems. But yeah, like lying in bed at night, you're just, your brain is going a million miles an hour. Like even on the flight over here, it was 11 hours and I can't sleep on flights because my brain is like, just going a million miles <laughs> So it's, that's hard, you know, and that's not like a, that's not the craziest problem on planet earth. So I'm not pretending that I'm mad about it, but it is a difficult thing. And I, you know, I think it's been, yeah, an absolute privilege to be able to even have the ability to have these problems, you know? So I, we look at it that way because not everybody gets to do this or not everybody has taken the leap or jumped off the bridge to get there or whatever. And so we don't take it lightly. We take it like uh, a responsibility in in some sense. No, of course. I think uh, as well with the, you know, mentioning anxiety, I think something that a lot of us suffer with and we hear a lot of creatives, especially, you know, because usually their outlet a lot of the time, like you just said, to deal with that is just to create outside of those moments when you are busy and like switched on. Is there any kind of like rituals, anything that you have to, contract that and try and you know keep keep yourself like balanced yeah yeah balance is a key word there <laughs> yeah balance is key and i think we have a pretty decent balance it's like knowing when to stop or pause or you know rest or push something off a little bit or say no to something those are also really difficult things to do i think the, the balance of jeff and i is really interesting because we equally have a pretty insane appetite but i'm I'm more apt to say, let's go after that thing, you know, emotionally. And then you look at the 
what you have in front of you. And you're like, well, we can't maybe do that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's the worst thing about (laughs) ideas and potential and possibilities. And so the art of the studio is like, yeah, figuring out that balance so that you can appropriately and sustainably go after the things that you want to be doing in the time that you have. And it's a constant battle. And it's an art form where we're always trying to get better at. All part of the process, right? Yeah, 100%. Of course. Well, I wanted to kind of just backtrack a little bit, go back to what we're talking about problem solving. And it just relates to the kind of experimental core of, of what you do. So I think for a lot of creatives now, there's this kind of pressure to, to really find a niche and to stick to that. Don't go beyond the walls of that niche, kind of stick a label on it, do what you do. You know, if you're a photographer, you're a photographer. But, you know, you said yourself that you're a multidisciplinary studio. You do a lot of creating a lot of different ways. Do you think that kind of casting your net wide in that way has given you better ability to problem solve and to work around issues and just to, I guess, push the boundaries of your creative nature and to, you know, create bigger and better for people's vision and your own? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's a double-edged sword in the sense of like being naive and you know, a little brash when we were young, thinking we could do it all, it took a long time for the studio to kind of get off the ground, so to speak. I mean, we were doing it full time since 09 and and really formally starting in 07. But the money was low, the projects were, it was just experimental in the sense of like, okay, we know that person, they have this project. We're, we don't know how to do that sort of project. Let's just do it for super low fee or no fee. Mm. prove to ourselves and to them. And I think we identified early that business development, the way that you get projects or get introduced to people is by by really showing up and proving that you can do something. And so we didn't have a time limit to that, but really like the first seven years, let's say, first decade almost was just completely doing that. Like Trying things that we were initiating on our on our own. We launched a pie shop in Southern Alabama in 09. We launched a project called Plus Pool in 2010, which is a nonprofit. We're building a, a public floating self-filtering swimming pool in the in the East River in New York. It's, it's happening now and it's taken uh, 12 years to get there. And wow. then in 2011, we launched our own quarterly architecture publication called Clog. And then in 07, we launched a record label and put out five vinyl records and worked with bands. And, you know, these are all things that like are almost psychotic, (laughs) but it was back to back. Every year we were launching a major initiative and doing like projects that we had no business doing. I mean, while we're in Alabama launching a pie shop in 2009 and Jeff had just quit his job to do PlayLab full time and we're like living in Alabama and we're simultaneously designing the Los Angeles County Museum of Art's iPhone app and none of <laughs> neither of us had an iPhone. So, <laughs> you know, and we're like doing it in Photoshop, which if you design apps, you know you don't design in Photoshop. So, you know, I think like that's a good little microcosm of like having no idea what you're doing, which is similar to even doing like a runway show like we wanted to do runway shows, but it wasn't until Virgil asked us to do it. And the asking us to do it was the project. Like it was the art form. That was the thing. It, we didn't approach him or anybody and ask to do it. He offered 
it because he saw some possibility or some potential in us, but we never discussed the fact that we had never done one. (laughs) Yeah. And he trusted us, right? Like where he gave us some sort of confidence or belief in ourselves, which allowed us to rise to the occasion. And so every one of the best collaborators we've had since 07, you know, has done that. And I think that's actually the driving force of the thing that kind of glues everything together. It's people. It's like the fact that you even want to talk to me now is not like not taken lightly because you forever are asking like, why me? And then you're like, well, why not me? <laughs> and, then yeah, yeah, sure. me? and then you're like, well, maybe this conversation will have some reverberating reality for somebody else that's listening to it. And so you're like, check, I, that's worth time. And it's the same with like, okay, well, we've never done a runway show. What's the worst that can happen? And, and here we are, this will be our ninth runway show for Virgil alone. And we're looking at the future and, and the immense amount of things. Now we have this language of set design and how a live event plays with music and lighting and choreography, all these things that we just never really explored before. Now we have that in our bag, like a language and collaborators to lean on and, and all of these things. So you're like, oh, well, well, that can apply to film. Maybe we could design a set for a film and TV or then maybe we could write a script with a writer. I know that guy over there and she's amazing at this. Like, let's pull it together and build something. And I think that's like where Play Lab excels. It's like, we're always taking the pieces and then looking over there. Sure, yeah. The random sort of like the way Virgil hit us for the show. It's like these random things sort of pop into your life. And then you ask like, okay, sh- should we, can we? And I don't know. I swear it's just super fun, you know. Does that make it difficult to to kind of plan ahead with some bigger projects? I mean, obviously, you just mentioned some there that are like, you know, 12 years in the making. When you have that attitude to creating, can that create any limitations to think, okay, this is something that we want to do kind of five years down the line? Or Oh, yeah. It's like, well, I mean, it's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say Plus Pool, which is the project in New York. That was a similar thing. Dong Ping Wong and Juana Stanescu, these amazing designers, they asked us if we wanted to collaborate on a project. They had no, I mean, we had never designed anything architecturally. We had, you know, Jeff and I like were trained in architecture and Jeff worked for an office and I quit architecture for graphic design and art. And we kind of came back full circle to all those disciplines through PlayLab. But yeah, they trusted us. And so we launched this endeavor and then it became a nonprofit. And then I became the executive director of the nonprofit and then I became a fundraiser and a politician, like going to city hall every week and hiring people and building a team and running that simultaneously to play lab. It's like, these things are scary. And, you know, at one point with plus pool, we realized like, well, maybe we shouldn't be running a nonprofit. We should have other people running a nonprofit (laughs) back to design and ideas. And that's, that's what happened. Like 2019, we moved to Los Angeles to kind of fully devote ourselves to like just the art of the studio. And now the team is prospering and plus pool is just growing. But yeah, there's like long vision stuff. There's short, quick quips. There's, everything in between. And I think it's the mentality of sort of waking up every day and chipping away at the sculpture and then being okay, going to sleep at night. It's all, it's all <laughs> back to that balance again. Yeah, back <laughs> to the balance. Exactly, Sam. 
<laughs> it's difficult. It's difficult. But I think that's what's kind of sick is like, I remember like when we first, we read that Carlson Wilker book and we went up to New York and it was like one of my first times visiting New York as an adult. And we went straight to their office and we were asking for advice. And I just will never forget Jan Wilker sitting down in the back room of their old Sixth Avenue studio. And he, he looked at me and we were 21, you know, or like 20 years old. And he was like 12 years older. And he was like, why are you guys here asking questions about starting a studio? It's like almost like you're asking permission. Why, <laughs> why, why are you not just doing it? And he said, what's the worst that's going to happen to you? You're going to sleep on a friend's couch because you couldn't produce enough money doing the project. So you're like sleeping on a couch. Like him and Kjalti Carlson slept in the studio and had a membership at the YMCA just so they could shower. And that's sick. <laughs> that, you do what you have to do to like to keep pushing forward. So Jeff was all, you know, has always said it's like we're not doctors. We're artists and designers. We're not saving lives here, but in some way we could be, you know. Absolutely. So we take it as seriously as if we were doctors, but there is this sort of you realize that you're not on an operating table. You're doing something else that doesn't have that sort of impossibility behind it so yeah but regardless can still have those uh very very huge impacts on people so that's not all the way down play it <laughs> yeah, but even to that point which is so interesting is like more and more we're getting this thing where people is like ah oh, we know about play lab or we've heard about play lab or random people coming out of the woodwork it's like we've been following you or like then we heard your name here and that's all new to us. That Like, that's new this year. I'm 37 years old. I've been doing this with Jeff since I was 19. This is half of my life. Half of the time I've been on this earth, I've been on this journey with Jeff. But I feel pretty young. I look decently young. And <laughs> But it's just starting to happen now. So for the that entire time, you felt like, man, PlayLab is this underground, underdog, secret work. <laughs> We have a close collaborator, an artist, a friend of ours, Ryan J. Simons. He, he worked at our office for a few years. And he, um, on his exit, when he left the studio, he was the first to move to Los Angeles and kind of proved to us that we could do that too. And he posted something on Instagram. It was a photo of the studio makeup at that time. There was five of us. And he said, um, we called him Studio Dad. And, and he was. He was like a cheerleader and he understood us more than anybody did externally. And, and he said something to the effect of the things that you see in the world from PlayLab are the tip of the iceberg of what the studio does. And he said, we were a small studio that punches well above its weight class. And that phrase has stuck into my head since then, because that's the truth. We feel like we don't feel great. We feel like we feel content and hungry, but we're just starting. And so when somebody says like, there's an effect that something that we've done has had on them, that's like insane. That's like absolutely insane. I don't think that will ever, that feeling will ever be not surprising, but yeah, we keep it internally focused in that way. It's like the conversation with Jeff and I, the team, the work that we're doing from the time we wake up, from the time we go to sleep, like that's the focus. So everything else is almost noise or our peripheral. Yeah long wax poetic there <laughs> no but incredible no that was that's that's really great thank you for that so just from what you said there it feels like for a lot of creatives moving to la is quite like a a natural step almost 
I'm just wondering, is there is there anything you feel that just the LA creative scene has to offer that other cities you've maybe worked in or lived in don't necessarily have? Yeah, I mean, every city has its thing. You know, we're in Paris. It's like historically one of the most inspiring creative environments on earth. It wasn't like an LA versus New York thing. It was more of, you know, we were in New York for so long, almost 15 years. And we were going to LA for work a lot. And it felt when you were there, I mean, obviously the weather is a little bit better. <laughs> but there's trade-offs, you know, there's traffic. You know, New York is this dense, powerful environment in which you are always in the mix. It's never off. There's always a ton of people. You're brushing shoulders and random things are happening. But in any city, if you set your life up that way, the same thing happens. So, so Los Angeles is the same. It's just different. It's a little bit more of a transient city in the sense of like people come in and out. It's more, more rooted in entertainment. And we do a lot of, we work with a lot of music artists, rappers, you name it. And so it's a really good place for that. But they pass through New York too. So it doesn't really matter. It's just more of like for us, the LA decision was only predominantly personal. It was, hey, we want to spend time with a few people that we really love in LA and we want to build with them. But we really just want a better environment for ourselves to not be so stressed out all the time. You want to be in a place where you can easily hop to the mountains or the desert or the beach or you know, gallery scenes, pretty amazing there. Everything feels a little new. It feels a little possible. So, there's pros and cons about every environment. I think we're pretty aware of that. Now that we have this sort of much bigger long game vision, you know, it's like, well, we're going to live in probably 10 more places. We don't have to hang our hat on permanence in that sense, especially with how open the world is and how easy it is to get on a plane and well, whatever. So yeah, no, there's good and bad things about every thing. You just sort of use it to your advantage, you know? hundred percent. It feels like the limitless thing is like a continual thread kind of throughout everything that you're doing and just the way that you're looking at life. So it's, it's cool to see that kind of just bleeds into every aspect of, of things, you know? Yeah, for sure. So now I kind of wanted to just flip things more into the business side quickly and just, this is kind of a, it's a double-edged sword, if you will. So the first part of it is just kind of how how yourself and your co-founders, well, just keep a positive balance between working with each other and your your kind of personal relationships. And on the other side of that, just what the hardest part of being a founder is that people are not necessarily talking about. I'm very aware that my partnership with Jeff Franklin is a dream. It- very lucky to have met him so early in early in life. We have this sort of language, but we have this trust. Business always sort of came second, but Jeff was first to kind of pick up the torch and really lead the administrative work of the studio. And he had no idea how to do it. He just sunk himself into it. I focused on design and business development. He'd focus on various aspects of design. And then we sort of meet in the middle with what we could offer each other. And then we both grew and changed. Like our skill sets have changed. Our outlooks have changed. But we really don't let a day or a week go by without telling each other the truth or what's on our mind. It's a very like, you know, if I'm going through something personally or vice versa, it's like we put that on the table. Everything is sort of like, it's out on the table as a feast, right? So even like, well, 
we don't really like getting paid nothing. So should we try to like ask for money or, you know, those are the first <laughs> conversations, right? And both of our wives make fun of us a lot because it took a long time to like ask for something that we wanted to be able to sustain ourselves to keep doing it. The business thing just sort of was created out of a lot of just sort of like hard work and and ideas. But yeah, it's really about the partnership. I think some people can operate solo. PlayLab is is formally the journey of, of Jeff's and my relationship in that way and how it extends to other relationships. That's how I look at the studio. So like I'm looking at his in the hotel's bedroom window right now. <laughs> 17 minutes and spend the rest of the day with him. It's like there's this trust and this comfortability with him, but it's also this sort of like and when I look at him, I think about literally limitless possibilities. So yeah, the business is is an interesting thing. And then you learn to surround yourself with great people, whether it's like financial advisors or business partners in other areas of the business or accountant, like we have the best accountant, shout out Rick, and really learning to build these sort of trusting relationships is what's key. And it's the same with the team. Like uh, we have the most stellar, stellar team on planet Earth. And we're very proud. Like every time, even the fact that I say there's nine people at PlayLab now sounds so large to me. And then when I tell people we're nine and it's sort of, it's not like a point of pride because it's not about a number, but it's exciting that like nine of us can make these things together. People will be like, it's only nine of you doing all that work. And you're like, oh shit. <laughs> Surmounted to God. <laughs> I didn't look at that that way. Now I do. Oh. <laughs> so I can answer more specific questions, but it's a challenge, man. No, that's great. It's also just beautiful to kind of see how uh, a friendship can still really blossom as uh, part of a business because it's something people talk about a lot being a very difficult thing to do. It can kind of make or break. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's a real spiritual, tough to describe <laughs> friendship, you know? No, I totally understand. Well, I just think a nice place for us to kind of tie things up is just a bit of advice for some creators that, you know, maybe struggling or trying to find that outlet. And I think something that we obviously all suffer with is like creative block or feeling of being uninspired, you know, if that's your geography's wrong, you're around the wrong people or just, it just falls flat one day. And I'm sure you faced it yourself. How do you work through that on a solo basis, but also if it's something the team is facing? Yeah. I mean, I think like we say this a lot is to remember to have fun and to just kind of let things out. Like Virgil would always say, here's a bad idea to get to a good idea, but like rarely were his ideas bad, you know, but he would like throw something out into the room and and see how people grabbed it and pushed it or countered it or whatever. And I think if you can teach yourself never to be in a position to be stuck in that sense, like you can get tired. Like last night we were working till late and we we're trying to solve something. And, and Jeff and I and Anna, we were like, we need to eat. You know, we need to eat and take a beat here because it, it flows out when you're in the position to allow it to flow out. But sometimes you just feel like it's chill and that's okay. But in other times you just have to remember like, well, I'm going to put my foot on the gas here and I'm going to work harder than the person next to me. And I think that's like a thing that also speaking of Virgil, you know, he would always say like, he took advantage of the time when other people were sleeping. And I think about that all the times, like, it's up to you, actually, if you yeah. want to work the extra hour, you could do it. And you should figure out how to stay healthy and 
and put yourself first and your health first and your friends and your family. But at the same time, like you have the ability to just keep moving. Or like, you know, he would say like, if you have an idea for a t-shirt, don't say I'll, I'll get to it tomorrow, get it out in the next 30 minutes, even if it's not perfect. So that's one key element. And then I think a lot of people talked about this a lot, but a lot of people just forget it's like they're trying to guess what they should be doing or what the world wants for them instead of just going after the thing that feels right or, you know, using your own intuition and leading by your own interest. Like, what do I care about? What am I interested in? I think that's key. And then the biggest thing to me is relationships and loving people, taking care of people, trying to treat yourself the way you want to be treated going out of your way, doing things that maybe you don't have to do, but are the right things to do, showing up when others don't, like all those things, you know, always over exceeding expectations where you can. I think that's a driving force of progress. And sometimes you just don't see it come back to you in the way that you think it's going to come back. So the important thing is to just kind of keep things in, in into the ether, like keep, you know, throwing things out, like, good energy, karma, like all those yeah. things. And that's all real. And then if you can go to sleep feeling like, okay, well, I did a couple things right today or whatever, that's key. So it's like hard work, being interested in just being extremely good to people, all lessons from Virgil, for sure, all things we've always believed, but were reinforced by his life and, and the way that he lived his life. And so, yeah, I think that's the biggest advice that I can give because everybody's on their own journey. Creativity and the ability to create something from nothing with other people is an absolute joy and privilege. So, and everybody has the ability to express the thing that, you know, can come out of them naturally. And you just get better at it the more you do it. So it's, you never want to be like, well, that thing sucks. I'm not good at this. I can't do my whole life is geared around that. Like I'm making music right now. I've been making music since I was 15 years old. I, my dad thankfully bought a guitar when I begged him to buy a guitar for me. And my friend Jason Williams taught me to play. And my friend Joel Spiesmaker was gracious with his time. And then I remember like Mark Miller gave me my first CDJ. I didn't even know how to use it. And then my friend Joel Evie was like, actually, this is how you use it. Spent time with me, taught me how to DJ. Then we started doing nights in the basement and, and things progress. And then I go to Germany and then a friend taught me Reason and taught me Ableton Live. And you start getting into the mix and then you start going to clubs and you're like, oh, that's how sounds are made. So you start doing it. And now I'm like building this music project with the producer. And I'm sometimes will catch myself and be like, should I be doing this? Like I, <laughs> I do play lab and like I'm a dad and a husband. Like the answer is like, yeah, bro, of course you need to be doing it. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Why not? And so when you remember it's about you, it's you're solving something for yourself because it's out of body. It's like, you know, I just got the latest mix back on this track we're working on and it like sounds fucking sick. Like <laughs> I'm like super excited, but it's like, I'm not trying to have a hit record and do a world tour. That's not the goal. I'm not like sitting in my high school bedroom being like, I can go on tour. I've I felt like that at 17. Now it's just sort of like, I want to make the track and feel good about it and make the next. I want to get this so I can get to the next because it's about the journey. So I think that that's the key. It's like no boundaries, no labels, keep moving. All that stuff is, that's the jazz, you know? 
yeah, I completely agree. It's like just balancing life's checkbook and doing it in a way that feels good to you. you know? mm. Really well said. I love that. <laughs> Incredible. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling pretty inspired right now. And I think, Same. you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see what you guys do with the show as well. Because it's, it's clear that, you know, Virgil made a really big impact on your lives as he did all of us. So I'm, I'm genuinely very excited to see that. Tune in January 20th. For sure. Thank you so much for your time, actually. It's been, it's been incredible, honestly. Yeah, Sam, thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I hope you have an incredible day. Thank you so much. All right, peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creative Paths. For more information about this episode, check out the description or visit contact.xyz forward slash creative hyphen paths. I'll be back soon for more unfiltered conversations about creative journeys. Creative Paths is brought to you by Contact, the platform where creatives, models, photographers, and more find work and get paid, and where clients book the world's most diverse creative talent. Visit contact.xyz for more information.